Hello, livestock friends, and welcome to this edition of Before the Bid. This is a podcast dedicated to the livestock sales industry where we go behind the scenes of the operation and speak straight to the sellers. We discuss topics about the important aspects of their operation, location, the people behind the prep work, and talk about some of the animals that will be offered to you, the prospective buyers. Hopefully, you've got your sale catalog close by. You might have to go look through that pile on your desk. But if not, then you're probably like me and driving down the road or busy with chores around the farm. And that's okay, too. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope you enjoy this segment of Before the Bid. I'm your host, Andy Howell. Welcome, Livestock Friends, to this edition of Before the Bid podcast. And uh, as usual, I am very excited to talk to the guest today that we have uh, on the podcast and uh, a guy that uh, he and I go way back. And he's actually uh, one of the biggest influences of uh, what I do and in the path that I took. And so I'm very excited to uh, talk to this guy. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go into the sheep world today. And, and we're going to talk to a guy that for 31 years uh, has been the beef and sheep specialist at Hawkeye Community College. Uh, this guy has set up uh, numerous scholarship programs. He's, he's set up and run uh, many shows for uh, college students and, and uh, for scholarship uh, situations. He's put on uh, a lot of sales for the same thing and, and for himself. And uh, he has his own sheep flock, of course, and, and has some sales. Uh, he's put together travel seminars. Uh, I was a student on some of those travel seminars and uh, also a guy that uh, developed and, and started the adult lamb and wool program. Uh, so uh, a guy that uh, I am very, very excited to talk to today. And also uh, he has a sale coming up on April 25th. And that sale is going to be through uh, Willoughby Online Sales. And, and today uh, my guest is Mr. Bob Kim from uh, Missouri. Bob, and uh, how are things out in Missouri uh, today, Bob? Well, it's a beautiful day. The sun's out and it's kind of a brisk 50-degree uh, day. That's good. Got uh, things things getting uh, ready for the sale and and uh, and things going with that. And we got some pictures and things. And we're going to talk about those here in just a little bit. But uh, Bob, I know you and I could could talk for about three hours about all the things that you've done uh, to to help juniors out and, and help students out and and the sheep program and the sheep industry and the cattle industry in general. But uh, we'll try to we'll try to keep that a little bit short. Uh, shorter here and we'll get to some of those sheep uh, later on but uh, if you would tell us a a little bit about uh, some of the history of the sheep flock and and I know you used to be in Dysart, Iowa that's where uh, you and I got together and and uh, I was actually uh, guys I was actually honored to work for Bob uh, for a a year or two and uh, Bob you had that flock in Dysart and and now you moved it to Willow Springs Missouri and give us just a little bit of background about that if you would. Well, I'm, I, I started at Hawkeye in 1969, and of course, by 73, my wife uh, had uh, convinced me that if we're going to have livestock, which I had on a, on a suburb of Waterloo, we better buy a, a property where I, I could ha- I, she could see me and, and, and uh, get a hold of me and, instead of wondering where I was at. So we bought the acreage uh, at Dysert and uh, moved down there from Waterloo in 73, and when I started... Uh, Actually, back before we moved to Dysart, I, I had a flock of uh, commercial blackface ewes and uh, kind of was kind of plugging away in 1970 and 71. Uh, really liked uh, carcass uh, events, so I, I took livestock. I took uh, consignments to the National Lamb Show, which was uh, held up in Albert Lee, Minnesota at that time, and got along really well, and that was kind of that along with the Iowa Ram test was where I really cut my teeth in terms of getting a position in the Suffolk breed. But by 72, I, I bought some registered ewes uh, from a dispersal sale. Uh, Burton Howland was a group of ranchers out of Idaho that had a dispersal sale in Des Moines, Iowa during a blizzard. And I was fortunate enough to buy about 15 ewes that day. They closed the sale down after about 30 and they had more than 200 to sell. But I was fortunate enough to get 15 ewes and that was the start of my registered Suffolk flock and then from then on it just grew and uh, 
by the latter part of the 70s, I had uh, well up over 100 ewes, and uh, I ran between 100 to 125 all the years that I was at Dyser. And you, you also had uh, also developed some satellite herds and different things like that as well, correct? Right. I mean, as the, the sales that I started in the uh, early years were private treaty sales, and uh, by, by the mid-'80s, it was evident that there were people all wanting to come at the farm and buy uh, particular animals at the same time, and you can't uh, appease everybody. Uh, someone's got to be first and someone's going to be second, and uh, so I decided in 1987 that I would have a, a sale. And uh, my first sale was a little bit crude because I didn't have an auctioneer. I mean, I did, I did it myself, but it, it was a very successful sale. And I, I had about 25 invited uh, buyers that all wanted to come and, and purchase uh, genetics that year. And so they were all at the farm. And, and I had students from Hawkeye uh, just put the, the lambs in the middle of a little arena that we built out of straw bales and we we had a sale and it, it turned out really good and so by 88 then we went to a full-blown uh, sale i built a new shed and uh hired an auctioneer and, and from then on uh, it was obvious uh, by the early 90s that i needed more uh animals to service the the interest that people had in my breeding program so i started with my first uh satellite flock was a past student uh terry chapman and uh then it just grew and i i i ended up uh, over the years with four different satellite flocks and most of those flocks had somewhere between 50 and 60 ewes in them i owned the sheep uh, they managed and, and lambed them out i furnished the the stud rams i paid all the uh cost of promoting and advertising and selling them and then we uh split the the sale proceeds so that that allowed me to have a couple hundred head in my sales in the latter years uh before i moved down here to hawkeye right well and and at some some of your history and and growing up through these uh different you different flocks and and different things you kept that uh that desire for clean pedigrees you kept a desire for carcass traits uh you kept those desires for that tell us why why do that when uh when a lot of the sheep world is is going the club lamb way well i definitely walked a a different path than, than most and and even some would say that i kind of established a a breed within a breed but you know my background is cattle, and that's what I taught while I was at Hawkeye. I mean, as a two-year college, you're going to handle more than one uh, particular uh, species, and, and I taught dairy, beef, and sheep. But uh, the, the main interest I had was cattle, and my awareness of what it took in, in the late 70s and early 80s to, to bring the beef industry back to a, a profitable uh, situation was – the word moderation and i know you students many times <laughs> called me mr moderation but i i believed in middle of the road livestock i i don't think we need uh, 1800 pound cows and i don't think we need uh, frame score uh, uh eight or nine cows i think we need fours fives and sixes uh easy fleshing and i took that same mentality into my uh decision of how i was going to raise suffolk sheep and so i and, of course, early on I mentioned how the Iowa Ram Test had influenced me and how the National Lamb Show and carcass events like that had influenced me. So I cared very much about producing an animal that had the ability to grow and the ability to open up a carcass that was uh, desirable for the consumer. And, and it just kind of made common sense to me. And fortunately, I've had customers that have followed my lead and believed that maybe that was a, a – useful way to go and i i hope a lot of my customers have have been able to market livestock uh better because you, you know they've got the carcass traits they've got the maternal traits they've got some of the performance traits that we've kind of emphasized and you know there there's extremes in anything but i think moderation it 
says a lot, and I, I really, uh, it, it was it was a name given to me by a good friend of mine, Dr. Charles Parker, who was with the American Sheep Industry when he had a group of Brazilians visiting my farm. But we were talking, and I was visiting about all the different traits that I try to select for. And, and Dr. Parker says, you know, Bob, a, a good slogan for your flock would be the home of balanced genetics. And I said, you know, I like that. And so... Ever since then, I got his permission, of course, but I've, I've taken the slogan of we're the home of Bellis Genetics. We don't, I, I, when people call me and they want a, a really extreme frame sheep or a really extreme heavy muscled sheep or they want extremes in any way, I say, you're really talking to the wrong program. I'm, I'm all about com combining as many traits as we can and making it a complete sheep. And uh, yeah, as you said, some some people came along with you. If if you go on the on the website there, you can see the the past sales, and you can see that uh, a lot of people have followed along with you, and a lot of people have have really bought into this program and uh, and really seeing the value in those sheep. So, well, you know, I, I I feel very gratified that my customer uh, base is very loyal, uh, even though I. I've indicated to you before we started visiting on the podcast that back in Iowa, we would have maybe 125 to 150 buyer numbers out, and, and there would be a crowd of a couple hundred people at the sales. Since I'm down here in southern Missouri, it feels like I've moved out of country because there's an awful lot of people that I haven't heard from since I've moved down here. But uh, I, I'm still selling the same kind of livestock that I have for all these years, and uh yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a numerous amount of breeders that are really uh, pretty uh, close to what I'm doing. They're trying to produce uh, the same genetic lines that, that, of course, have made my program successful. Bob, uh, along with, with your sheep, you have helped so many youth with scholarships, so many youth with leadership opportunities, uh, through through scholarship programs, through helping them put on shows, to helping them put on sales and travel seminars, and, and I know I just gave you a broad spectrum, broad uh, group there, but but will you tell us about a few of those things that that you've done, and and uh, you you just have a passion for youth and and helping youth and. Uh, setting some of those things up, and and what are some of those things that you feel are are some of your um, major accomplishments? I guess. Well, probably the largest uh, accomplishment I had had to do with the cattle industry when I started the uh, Iowa Cattlemen's Beef Extravaganza, and it it's still going on back up in Iowa. But we, uh, you know, I, I guess it was a combination of my working with. Uh, a representative with a pharmaceutical company and uh, he wanted me to furnish some students to help with the display at the cattle congress uh, which is a show there in waterloo iowa and, and before long we got to talking and i said well if we're going to bring youth into to your display we really need to maybe do something uh, uh further down the road and and the uh, initiation of that concept of getting business industry to put money into scholarship uh, funds to uh, allow youth to go to college started and it started in the early 90s and the, uh, the cattlemen's uh, continued that in Des Moines, Iowa, but our first four or five years was there at the college uh, on the school farm. And then uh, we were we were given away about $15,000, which was recruited from industry to youth to go to college. Then we, I started the same kind of program with sheep. And it, it, it was an all-day event where youth would be uh, involved in 10 different disciplines, everything from physically handling livestock through a working corral to uh, setting down and talking about promotion and uh, advertisement to doing uh, carcass evaluation on live animals to marketing bulls. I mean, there was numerous uh, different uh, uh, disciplines that were uh, expected out of those uh, youth in, in that event. But as you say, I, I've always had a strong interest in working with youth. I wouldn't have taught for 31 years if I didn't. But the, presently today, 
Uh, I still have uh, junior credit programs. I, I'll, I'll be awarding over $1,000 of credit to youth that have bought livestock last year's sale, and they've shown them, and they've done well, and, 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 and that's all kind of spelled out in my junior page of my website. But <clears throat> I also have uh, uh, just a free credit. This year, it's just $1,500 to fork youth uh two $500 credits and a two $250 credits. And those are broken into the junior division and the senior division, 13 and under and 14 and older. And, uh, we, we can't forget that it really without youth, we can't expect any future to have a bright uh, look. So, I mean, you've got to take time to work with youth. They are, uh, our future and, and that's my philosophy. So I, I really enjoy that. I enjoy getting pictures from young people that have done uh, successfully shown a, an animal that they purchased. So that's where I'm at today. But when you ask the question, my my involvement with uh, scholarships goes way back to when I started that cattle program for uh, kids in in uh, Iowa and the Upper Midwest. Right, and and so many things, uh, so many other things that I'm sure you uh, maybe have even forgot about some of those things that uh, that you've done. You, you've badly so to say that might be that might be true. <laughs> when you're that involved, uh, uh, some of those things uh, I'm sure are are uh, uh, will slip by. And and when you've done uh, done as much as you have, so uh, Bob, you started not only with the youth, but but you started the adult. Uh, lamb and wool programs when you were at uh, at Iowa at, at Hawkeye. It's, explain that just a little bit, if you would. Well, of course, the the big adult program uh, in the nation for sheep was at Pipestone, Minnesota, and Dwight Holloway started that, and Mike Caskey followed him, and they had a very successful program, and it really bolstered the commercial industry in in that region. So. There was a number of us in Iowa that wanted to get the same kind of a, a program going. So it, the state was divided into four quadrants, and I had the northeast quadrant, and uh, we we got money from the State Department uh, at the time to do adult lamb and wool programs. And so I stepped out of the teaching position in the day program and, and was full-time for four years just working with adult producers in the northeast quadrant of the state of Iowa to uh, make six farm visits a year. We'd have one monthly meeting uh, every month. Uh, we would have uh, records. Every every uh, producer enrolled in that program had to keep uh, good records. And so, yeah, it, it was a really it was kind of a change of pace because I had taught uh, 31 years, but at 25 of them with the day program. And then I went into the adult program for four years. And then I bounce back into the day program at the end of my career. But uh, we talk about youth. I mean, uh, one thing that you should remember, I wasn't your coach, but you were a part of something that I started at Hawkeye, and that was the livestock judging team. And I, I look back in my career, and I can't say any, anything was more uh, influential on, on my life than coaching livestock judging team members. Uh, the gratification of when we would go out and win a contest or do well and youth would do well, that, that was very, very gratifying. So livestock judging teams, uh, at Hawkeye never maybe were as uh, dominant as a few, uh, programs in the nation, but they were always in the hunt. Mm -hmm. and, and started by you. And, and that's a great thing. You, you talked a, a little bit about the sheep uh, traveling with with the adult program, and you've done travel seminars for for students uh, for for both sheep and beef, and and I know uh, I came to I came went back out to Iowa one summer just to go on one of those travel seminars. Do you have some of those memories from those travel seminars that? Uh, that, that you want to tell us about and, and just some of the uh, more interesting stops or, or different things uh, after you introduce what those travel seminars are? Well, yes. I mean, you go back to the beginning of when uh, the program at, at Hawkeye started. I mean, we were a tech school to begin with. When I came in 69, it was known as Hawkeye Tech. Uh, then it later became Hawkeye Community College. But when you're dealing with young people, uh, 
ages 18 to 21, uh, some of which have a strong interest in academics and some of, would rather do more hands-on. And I thought getting you out in the industry, having you meet producers who are successful was going to be more impactful than setting in that classroom. So maybe it was the fact that I didn't want to be just a classroom teacher that I really put emphasis on travel seminars. But uh, I doubt, I really doubt that there's anybody in any two-year college in the nation that's done more traveling in a van with students, <laughs> whether it be beef or sheep trips. But uh, well, we used to take a week's trip with our students enrolled in animal science, and we used to go to three or four state uh, tours, and we'd stop at cattle, uh, uh, we'd stop at swine, we'd stop at sheep, we'd stop at dairy, and we'd maybe just stop at manufacturing industries that are ag-related, but it, those one-week trips were very memorable. I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you all the uh, things that we uh, had to deal with when you get young people out on the road and you're traveling with them, and I did that with the judging team, and I did it with travel seminars, and, and then Later on, I started to specialize in just taking my beef students or my sheep students on one-week trips, and uh, I don't regret it. It was one of the, the ways that I felt that educationally we could reach uh, the depths of the, the, the minds of as many young people as we could possibly reach without getting them bored stiff in a classroom. Right. Yeah, you uh, you knew uh, you knew at least one student. <laughs> you knew what he wanted. Uh, so <laughs> so I I sure I sure remember. Uh, I remember going on the one. I don't remember where all we went, but uh, I remember. Well, I remember going on a couple of them. Uh, the one that we did at, that summer, uh, the week long, and and I I don't like I said I don't remember exactly where all we went. Uh, you probably remember better than I do, but but I know you put us in front of some of the. Uh, some of the leaders in the nation of of the beef and the sheep world and and uh, I, I remember uh, I remember a trip to Wyoming where we went out to look at heifers and uh, and bring those heifers back uh, for the program at Hawkeye right. and uh, well that was the, that that stop was Schroeder Cattle Company and that was in western Nebraska and Frank Padella who was an Iowa boy and he he got uh, hired by the Schroeder family to run their cattle operation it was a composite operation so it was like it was in the current cutting edge of the beef industry but we were looking at composites that had uh, galvi and simmental and and uh, angus and so forth the genetic composition to allow them to be uh, you know maximizing hybrid vigor what i talk about the schroeder cattle company is they we we wanted to expand that same kind of genetic uh, prowess there at the college. So uh, I, I got approval to buy five to six heifers a year for about four or five years from Schroeder Cattle Company. And uh, I would take students out there. Uh, Frank, would they would have maybe 70 heifers in a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd hand out cards to you guys, and you guys would all mill around the heifers and pick five or six of the numbers that you liked. And then when we got all done, we'd lay all the selections by all the students that were in attendance out. And we would come up with a consensus of the heifers that we wanted to take back home. And the nice thing was Frank Padella allowed us to take whatever heifers we picked out of that group. I mean, we were supposedly picking the cream of the crop out of 70 heifers, but that, yes, those were trips that were, quite uh, impactful in terms of the teaching herd there at the college. Right. I remember one of those you had a uh we had a debate on which heifers should come back and maybe which one shouldn't and uh uh I think we actually let we actually talked you into one of them that uh, maybe you weren't in great favor of. I don't well, know. you students had <laughs> had a voice. <laughs> right. I wasn't a dictator. Right. No. No, not at all. So so uh that was that was great and and that's one of those trips uh one of those trips i remember remember quite well so uh it's still uh still on and and very active on some different boards and things uh you're on the united suffolk sheep association board uh the the iowa industry board uh, the farm bureau sheep advisory uh those things uh still that that's all correct right 
Well, you're incorrect in saying I'm still on them because okay. I'm uh, getting up in years. Uh, but I did serve on all those boards. Yes, uh, probably the you know the American Sheep Industry uh, Seed Stock Committee, and I chaired that for four years. That was one of the most prestigious boards that I was on and served as chair of. But I, I hopefully done my part in in, in being a, a leader and a supporter of all the organizations that that were supporting what I represented in in the industry. So uh, no, but today, Andy, I, I can truthfully say I'm pretty much retired. I. I guess we haven't talked about the fact that I used to actually judge livestock shows, but right in my in my heyday, I was judging quite a few shows. But uh, this is, uh, like I say, I'm kind of semi-retired from uh, being exposed to a, a lot of people down here in southern Missouri. I don't I don't have the contacts uh, on a daily basis like I had up in Iowa, but uh, I, I'm still. Uh, uh, I guess a, a thoughtful person in terms of visual appraising what I use for breeding stock and so forth. But the the days of judging livestock shows for me are past, and and I I do miss it because I had the the opportunity to judge uh, a good share of them. Right. I remember uh, I remember you took a young man to Exarbon, and uh, when you when you judged the Market Lamb Show out at Exarbon. And so uh, I remember that I had I had laryngitis. Remember, right? Yes, yes. That was a, another another great trip that uh, uh, that that you influenced influenced me at that. And and uh, so uh, just a, a good stop and, and a, another neat experience. And and I remember we were sitting around. Uh, sitting around one of the tables at Exarbon, and and there was some of the major leaders in the livestock industry sitting around there, and and here sat this 19 year old uh, 19 year old kid, and um, just uh, the I remember the things that you guys were talking about, and and uh, and and uh, different things, and, and one of them was the the five breeds. If there you had to have five breeds of beef cattle. What would those five breeds be? And uh, so, so I remember, I remember those, and and uh, and remember that. So again, just just more of you impacting youth, and you didn't just judge in the United States, right? No, I had the fortune of doing quite a lot of work in in South America uh, and uh, in Mexico, and I didn't uh, ever judge in. in England or in, in Great Britain, but I did several trips to Great Britain to view genetics over there. So I mean, the the world of sheep has allowed me to to, to see and, and contact a lot of the world people uh, that are involved. And New Zealand is another country I've been to twice because of my involvement with the seed stock committee with the sheep industry. But uh, the most judging I did was in Brazil and Mexico. I was in Brazil four times and in Mexico about eight times. That's great. That's great. And then, all while doing all of those things, you're still running your own sheep flock. Yeah. Well, that was when Barb was uh, kind of given the responsibility to oversee the, the home front, and my son Ted and my daughter Flo were there. So, uh, But I, as you remember, I hired uh, students to take care of uh, chores and do a lot of the work uh I didn't like to leave during the winter months, during lambing time, like when I went to judge uh, in Denver, uh, leaving uh, the home front during the lambing season is, is not easy, or judging Houston or Fort Worth, and those shows are in the spring, and, you know, there's so much uh, going on out in the barn, and it doesn't really pay that well to to start with in terms of judging, but when you actually have livestock that are that are at risk when you're gone it, it really can be costly but i did it anyway and my family supported me and i was very blessed to, to have them help me right yeah and and uh, again developing uh different leadership and, and leadership skills uh, i know a couple guys that uh when they were looking for a job they said hey i've i've worked for bob kim and they said you work for bob kim sure have well come on and uh so so led to a lot of others a lot of others uh successful futures or i guess or, or successful 
lives and, and different things. So uh, just uh, just all the influence that you have is is uh, great, and I still uh, I still admire it and and uh, enjoy it here. What twenty years later uh, since I've been out there with you. So so Bob, oh, let's, thank you. Let's we'll talk a little bit uh, about about the sale and in the sheep and different things like that and and uh, you were like I said you were in Dysart, Iowa and you had that uh, flock there but now you have moved down to down to Missouri and will you uh, talk about that just a little bit? Well, again, the the move was again because my wife, uh, my current wife, uh, wanted to be a little closer to her uh, grandchildren in Louisiana and also in a little warmer climate. So we kind of compromised and and settled on southern Missouri. But when I made the move down here, I did even cut back my flock more uh, than uh, I had about 50 ewes, and I cut it back to about 30. When we moved here, I'm back up to about 40 right now, but. we're uh, the the big adjustment for me is getting used to fescue. Uh, uh, endophyte toxicity is is thrown me a, a lot more challenges than I thought it would, and so but I've learned to deal with it, and we're we're managing our uh, uh, sheep uh, a little better this year than I did the first year I was down here in terms of dealing with the toxicities. But uh, I've got four to use right now. My genetic base. Uh, is pretty much Kim bloodlines because it's hard for me to find uh, an outsourced, uh, completely outcrossed ram from a breeder that's got maybe the same exact mentality that I do. And ter- uh, the emphasis that I put on carcass traits and on maternal values and, and on structural correctness, uh, not saying there aren't breeders that do that, but uh, <clears throat> it, it just has is, is been a little bit, uh, easier for me to breed within. So like this year, uh, my sale represents about three bloodlines and they're all rams that I raised myself. But uh, some of the most influential breeders that have put genetics in line for me to use uh, starts with guys like Willard McLaughlin out of Colorado, Tom Slack out of Indiana, Bob Fields out of Indiana. Uh, these were all people that really uh, gave me uh, pieces that helped me construct what I'm doing today. And uh, Bill McCauley out in Pennsylvania, uh, Jim Van Dyke up in uh, South Dakota are people that that I've used some genetics from in recent times. They they bought a lot of my genetics as well. So, and I'm I'm really a a fan of inbreeding and or line breeding and People would, I, I, I will read this in textbooks, always say crossbreeding and, and line breeding and inbreeding works in cattle, but it doesn't so well in sheep, and I don't see that as being true. I've line bred quite a lot uh, in my years of doing this, and what it does is it just simply uh, solidifies traits and gives you more consistency where you can have more predictability. The outcome isn't going to be quite as uh, diverse. So I really like line breeding. Surely there are some traits that will raise their ugly heads with, if you don't have a, a clean closet. I mean, if the closet's filled with some, some traits that you don't want to see, uh, they can pop up. But you, you learn what you can and cannot do. So uh, the, the three lines that I used uh, predominantly to get currently where I was at, there was a, uh, a bloodline that came out of Virginia. It was the Meadows. 5211 ram and Scott Greiner who's at Virginia Tech gave me the lead on that ram and and that had a great impact on on what we're doing today. Uh, uh, Gerald Howard out of Oklahoma had an aged ram that he bought from uh, Tom Slack out of Sedalia. I bought that ram from Gerald Howard and that ram had a a great impact on where I'm at today in recent times. So you know I'm I'm connected to enough people and I talk to enough people that you, you try to find, genetically speaking, the pieces that are going to help you improve where you're at to make the next move. But you get to a point sometimes where you take two steps forward and one step back. And, uh, you know, that sounds like you can make progress that way, but it, it, it's sometimes kind of a hurtful thing to, 
to ha have things go back on you, but that's part of genetics. Not everything that we do, whether it be in cattle, swine, sheep, or whatever species, is always going to, every time we make a new introduction of bloodlines, is going to make an improvement. Sometimes it, it won't work the way we thought it would work. But for the most part, uh, I feel like, you know, if someone would ask me when was the time frame that you had what you thought was the best livestock, uh, I, I really feel, I mean, I look at pictures, uh, and that's the fun thing of, about having all the sales archived on my website. I can go back and look at what I've produced, and I think I'm producing some of the best genetics that I've ever produced. Right. And and you've done you've done so much extensive testing, blood work, uh, different different things like that to make sure that that these pedigrees are clean and uh, the the way everything should be. Right. We we started DNA testing for the spider gene uh, back in well, I'm going to say the the early '90s. Uh, there was a a lab out of Minnesota that. One of my past students, Don Swanton, uh, told me uh, that I could send blood up there to St. Paul, Minnesota, and get it tested for whether it had. Th this was actually the codon 171 uh, is the codon that gives us uh, resistance or non-resistance for uh, uh, scrapie. But I, I did the 171 testing, and then later on 136 testing for for scrapie, and then later on we. John Beaver, Dr. Beaver in Illinois came up with a test for uh, identifying the spider gene. And I, by the late nineties, I threw that into the mix. So yes, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many dollars I've spent on DNA testing. Uh, I do not do DNA test anything anymore. Other than last year, I actually sent in blood on all my females and all my stud rams just to make me feel confident that they were all what I think they are, and they all came back RRNN. So, and people ask me, can they get a certificate that shows them that the animal they bought is RRNN? Uh, uh, well, I, I've got the records to show that all the flock is there. So, it it it, it, it isn't that expensive, but it is. It's about ten, twelve dollars a a test. So, you know, I don't do it on every every animal I'm selling, but. Yes, I've, I've spent a good deal of time and money in trying to make sure that we're where we need to be as a, a seed store, uh, seed stock uh, genetic source in this in, the, in this breed. That's really neat that that you've got you've even you've even got the blood work behind the uh, physical work uh, and, and the physical appearance on those sheep and. Uh, so uh, just uh, just commend commend you on that, and and I know uh, when I showed up out there, I didn't have any idea about all the sheep testing and things, and and uh, you started talking all of those and uh, influenced influenced me on that, and and influenced a lot of other people on that, and and uh, some of them didn't quite understand it and, and catch on, but you can see that that like you said earlier, you've got a following that's uh, that's really uh, believing in those things, so. Bob, uh, you've got, you wanted to talk a, a little bit about, we'll talk about these, these sale lambs and, and you want to talk a little bit about some sire groups and, and talk about those sires that uh, have sheep that are in this sale. And, and again, the sale April 25th on uh, Willoughby online sales and uh, talk about those if you would. Well, I think everybody has a different, uh, I guess, interest in what they're trying to, to add on to their breeding programs. I mean, I get phone calls from people that say, I want a ram that's got frame. I want him to be clean fleeced. I want him to have lots of muscle. I want him to have maternal traits. I want him to have lots of longevity. And they'll, they'll go on and on and on and on. They want breed character. They want bone. And when they get all done, I say, well, if you find one like that, that has all those traits in one package, you call me, I'll probably buy it. You know, you can't produce a complete, perfect animal. It's just not possible. You can come close, but when I give guidelines to buyers, I say, you've got to, this is a peace program. Maybe you want more bone, and you can put emphasis on that. Maybe you want more muscle, 
and you need to select for that. Maybe you want more milk or want more longevity or want fleshing ability or want breed character. Put as many traits into one package as you can, but don't think that you're going to be able to afford to buy or even find that animal that doesn't have any any opening uh, faults because they all have something that would change about them. Uh, the rams that I have now are really diverse in the fact that one is probably more compact, a more moderate framed ram. He's about a 35, 36-inch ram. Uh, he weighs about 300. He's not, he's not as big and heavy-boned as I'd like to see, but he throws muscle consistently, and that ram is what we call Oscar. He's 17026. His lambs are all going to have ribeye skins that are going to be big. Last year, I think they averaged almost four inches, adjusted to 135. So when people want something that's more muscle-driven, I always give them that bloodline as one to, to check out. I have a son of him that I, I raised last year that's uh, 18069, and we named him Trucker. My new wife really likes names, so we get names for all these bucks. But Trucker will add a little more bone, and he'll add just a little bit more size, frame-wise. But muscle-wise, probably not as consistent as Oscar, but if you look at this year's uh, catalog, he put some big eyes out. I, there's one ewe lamb that's got almost a five-inch adjusted ribeye, and that in the sheep world is fairly significant. And then the third ram that I really I like a lot of things about is a ram 17046 that I uh, my wife named Elvis, and that ram is is a big ram. He'd be close to a 38-inch uh, at the shoulder, weighs just shy of 400 pounds. He's a He's a complete sheep in terms of a big ram, but he, his ribeyes won't measure up to the previous two rams I talked about, but they'll be long-bodied, longer-bodied than the other two rams, and they'll be a little larger framed, and they'll have just a little more breed character. So each ram brings significant traits to the table. Uh, so when a prospective buyer looks at this offering, they need to look at these uh, write-ups that are on these rams that I put in my uh, website. And my website has been a really uh, large part of my marketing uh, tool. I mean, I've, I've got Junior Page, of course, that explains the Junior program, but I've got a page for my sires. There's pictures of those bucks. There's a, a paragraph written about each of those rams and what I feel they bring to the table. And I ex really encourage any prospective buyer that's looking at my program to be on my website to go back maybe archive some of the sales on the production sale page they can actually archive 10 years back and it's pretty interesting and of course there's lots of other additional information uh information about where i came from and what my background is as well as pictures of the flock over the years Right, yeah, and what is that uh, website, Bob? That's breedingsheeppage.com backslash Kim. Right. And if anybody if anybody just, uh, it, it seems to work pretty much this way, if you just Google the word K-I-M-M -M Suffolks, my website should come up. But the official uh, page is breedingsheeppage.com slash Kim. Right, and maybe they can pause this if they would like, and and go to that website and and uh, look down in there, and it does have your your sale catalog. Uh, it's got it on there uh, as well. So, Bob, do you want to talk about a few of those uh, individual sheep that uh, you're offering here on the 25th? Well, I, a couple rams that that are actually lot number one and two that uh, are, are getting a lot of people interested are, are Rams 32 and 33. They're lot one and two. They're by trucker, and uh, they both have pretty good-sized ribeyes, a little bit more bone, but they're just massive, uh, muscular kind of sheep. Uh, they're not as big as some of the other Rams, but uh, another pair of twin Rams that are going to, uh, I think, be more breeder-type Rams are lot six and seven they're sired by the the ram 46 uh, we call him elvis but they, they're going to be a little bigger longer framier bucks but they still have reasonably good muscle they're in the upper threes so 
those are two sets of twin bucks that are, uh, I think, standouts. A uh, young ram that I really like uh, down the line is, is uh, uh, he's ear tag one. Uh, he's lot number eight. He's a trucker son, but he, he's a real complete sheep, and he's going to have, uh, I think, a lot of interest. Uh, there's there's several, you know, sons of trucker in there that have got a little bit more of a club lamb look to them. Uh, the lambs out of uh, Oscar uh, as well look that same part. Uh, you stand behind them; they'll fill the their britches are full and their inner twist is full. They they've got the muscle. Then the the lambs out of Elvis, they're a little flatter muscle, but they're longer, framier sheep with a little more breed character. So. It depends on what you need in terms of a uh, an addition into your uh, stud battery, but you need to study uh, the pedigrees on those rams. And by the way, I really believe in pedigrees, and all my genetics are uh, studwise are extended pedigrees are on the website. So you go onto the sire page and you can click and get a five generation pedigree. That's great. Female wise. Uh, the females uh, are kind of the same uh, re- response as far as uh, sire groups. I, I, I've had people wanting to buy uh, some January ewe lambs to show, and I always say it depends on what show you go to. If, if you're going to a show where they're going to ju- have a more of a club lamb type judge, you probably need a trucker or a Oscar uh, daughter. But if you're going to go to a show where it's going to be more of a little bit of a breeder type judge where they're looking for a little more size and extension then it should be one of the Elvis daughters but the the, the one you have that's got an awful lot of attention is lot number 39 and uh she's uh unusually heavy muscled but she still looks really smooth uh her ribeye is just shy of five inches 4.91 so that that we adjust everything to 135 and the reason we do that is that's kind of a very typical market weight for our industry today although if you go to the east coast they like a lighter weight lamb uh superior which is the largest pack in the nation uh they're headquartered out of davis california but they like a little larger lamb uh greg ahart would tell you that he likes a lamb somewhere on uh say 150 to 165, which would give you a carcass weight of 75 to 85 pounds. But point is, is that there are some differences. All the sale offering isn't going to be the same. There, there, there are animals in there that have got a piece of this, a piece of that, that's a little better than another one. So you need to decide what it is you want to, to bring into the program that you're working with. Right, I went through those, went through those to put this video together that uh, that we're gonna do, and uh, I was I was clicking on those and and saving those, and uh, wow, what a what a lineup of of sheep and and especially uh, I, the females, I uh, just uh, really enjoyed uh, enjoyed those, and and like you said, they're they're some of the bigger, longer, some of the uh, more muscular, and and uh, uh, some some different things in there, so. Uh, but uh, I'd, what? I I want to commend you on a great set of sheep. Well, thank you, Andy. One of the one of the interesting entries, and I I put her in late. She hasn't even been weaned yet. She's lot number forty six. Uh, I, I mentioned line breeding. I did breed Elvis back to his mother this year. Uh, that is a set of twins that are not in the sale. I'm going to keep the daughter out of that mating. But I also bred Elvis back to his twin sister, and I put that daughter in the sale she's lot 46 and you want to talk about a a, a stud potential stud you uh, she should be something she's just a like i say she's not weaned yet she's not even shorn in the in the pictures but i'll probably shear her prior to the sale because i'm going to wean her early this next week but here's a little girl that's just built square thick you know when you breed that close when you inbreed that line you don't know if it's going to turn out as good as is it is it did in this particular case but I, I i sure i don't like selling genetics like that but i can't keep them all at my age uh, i don't need to, to build too many more numbers i just need to keep kind of stable and she's one that i think is an opportunity for someone who wants a a young you 
She's a Jan she's a February U, but she's she's going to be fun to watch. Right. Yep. Yeah. Make sure you click on her there on the website. Uh, she is she is really flashy, really good. Yeah. Bob, give us uh, give us some more details on this sale and about uh, if we want to come look at sheep. How do we go about that? And uh, picking these sheep up, different things like that. Will you give us that information, please? Well, our place is open and welcome to anyone at any time. I just appreciate if they give us a call before they show up. I, in fact, I have a family coming tomorrow uh, late morning to uh, look at uh, the consignment. I, I had calls from a couple families that are uh, one in Illinois, one in Minnesota that, that are planning to attend the sale. The question is, with the COVID-19 uh, situation, uh, we aren't going to have the open house like we had last year, so uh, that's not going to happen. But but as far as the barn, the barn is open to anyone to come in and, and look at any time, especially if you let me know when you're coming. Sale day, the animals will actually be uh, lot number paint branded uh, in the early morning, and they'll all be ready to look at by 12 o'clock noon. It's an online sale. They say the bidding starts at 7 a.m. Anybody that's been around online sales know that bidding usually doesn't even begin until the hour just before it ends, which uh, I'm ending the sale an hour early. Most of the online sales end 7 Eastern, so that'd be 6 Central. Uh, I'm ending this at 6 Eastern, 5 Central time because I there's people from, you know, the local areas and I, last year I had Oklahoma buyers here. I had, I had Virginia buyers here. But when when the sale ends, they they want to try to still get a good jump on getting home. And I I know I I need to think about myself because I was told by one buyer that if you shorten the sale up too much, it, it there's some people that might not be able to get home from work or whatever to bid. But if it's a Saturday sale. I think it should work where people can bid online. But if they come here, they better have a, a laptop or a phone that's uh, got good reception. We we successfully handled Verizon really well here. Uh, I I do know AT and T probably is not as good as as, as some of the uh, carriers. But uh, with that being an online sale, uh, most of the bidding will occur where people won't be at the farm. But they're welcome to be here that that afternoon and uh, and. We'll, we'll answer any questions. I'll be outside. My wife won't be, but I'll be outside to, to visit with and answer any questions that anybody has. Uh, the uh, animals will be, uh, they're all shorn now, but they'll be, like I say, paint branded and on, on fresh uh, wheat straw bedding. Right. And you will also be handing out those, uh, those scholarships uh, on that day. Is that correct? Right. I'll announce the, the, the day of the 20th. I had it. The, the deadline was the 15th of April, but I've extended it to the 20th. So any junior member that writes an essay, that's their entry into the drawing. And this year, uh, the drawing will actually be done by me here uh, on the 20th. And then I'll notify the winners via email. I have email. Most of the ones that I've received, uh, the essays have come via email. Uh, only only one has come in the mail, so and I have a phone number for that young lady. But what I'm saying is that information will be established on who's going to win those uh, scholarships or this it's it's sale credit is what it is. It'll be uh, notified to them uh, via email on the night of the 20th, and then they can kind of know what they've got to spend if they've got an extra 500 or 250 to spend. They'll know that. The ones that applied that don't get a call or an email from me know that they, they weren't successful in their bid. But I can't give everybody credit, but I certainly would like to. But anyway, the, the sale credit for juniors who do well, I mean, I've had four or five young people that bought uh, lambs last year that showed them. And all they have to do, if they win their county fair, it's $100. If they win... Uh, a class at the state fair, it's $100. If they win the state fair, it's $250 in the breed division. If they win the national junior show, which this year is scheduled to be in Michigan, but I don't know that it will happen. But if they win at the national junior show, uh, it's $500. But those are credits 
you know, I, like I say, I'll be handing out over $1,000 sale credit to, to four different juniors who showed sheep that they bought in last year's sale. Ex- explain that essay just a little bit. We we kind of touched on it, and then we, we skipped over that uh, a little bit. How do they get the the scholarship or the, the, the sale credit? They uh, they write a I say a 500 uh, word essay, but I mean some of them come in longer than that, and some of them come in shorter than that. But the main thing is I want to hear from these young people in terms of a little bit of their philosophy on why they want Suffolk sheep and what their futuristic program for their Suffolk's would be, uh, and and I I just like to know a little bit more about them in that regard. So I read them over, but. Previous to this last two years where we've just drawn the winner, uh, I used to require a PowerPoint presentation. So for years, if you go on my website and, and look at the archives of the young people that have won, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot more to winning uh, scholarship or sale credit than just putting your name in a hat and drawing it out. Uh, I used to, being an old teacher, I used to actually have a, a 50 I, I called it a quiz, but it was closer to an exam. I used to have four juniors and one for seniors, uh, a 50-question uh, quiz that they would take. And uh, Darren Shawley, who was one of my past students, used to come up, and he used to grade them. I mean, there, it's a lot going on sale day, but we used to use that along with uh, their essays and their PowerPoints. And so we would try to get young people that were very uh, in tune with what this whole industry is about having some goals and some objectives uh that's where i'd like to put you know the most part of the credit emphasis on is is these young people that really kind of have their uh program and and have some organization of their future of what they want to do but today in this current uh situation it's just an essay sent to me in a word document preferably because uh, I can open those better than I can the Google uh, pa- packages. But Word document, essay, if they go on my website under the junior program page, they can see a, an outline of suggested content that that uh, essay could include. And then they just email it to bb or bksuffolks at gmail.com. And you say those are due on April the 20th, correct? 20th, yeah, April 20th. Okay, so uh, uh, as we're recording this, we've got a few days, uh, and, and they'll be able to have a day or two there that when we get this out that uh, they will be able to get those scholarships turned in. So, uh, again, what a, what a great what a great program, and and uh, even though you've you've been retired from teaching for a few years, you uh, can't stop giving back to the young people. Well, again, it's it's the future. We we all have to re- realize that our youth are our future. Right, Bob. Uh, what about picking these lambs up uh, after after the sale? Well, of course, a lot of the people I've had calls from several states where they're concerned about transporting the animal uh, if they should get one, and we'll work with them. Uh, I'm not at my age. I'm not going to say I'm going to deliver the sales sheep because that's not going to happen. But uh, I do have listed on my uh, Willoughby site uh, three of the national transporters. Bobby Mays is from Mountain California. Uh, Darren Klaus is from over around uh, Indiana. Uh, Jonathan Liebert is from down around Virginia. And these people have all agreed to, to help transport anything that needs to go to far uh, distant uh, destinations. As far as picking them up, uh, obviously they they come to the, the property here and pick them up is an ideal situation. And I will I will uh, take full responsibility for 30 days. And I, I, I look at a lot of these people and what they give in terms of, of time to uh, pick them up. And I think that's about as long as anybody gives. I, I, I will feed and board and take care of these animals at my responsibility. For 30 days, that's uh, from the day of the sale. Anything after 30 days that's not picked up, I'll add a boarding fee of $2 a day. So I, I think that's relatively uh, fair as a, as a going rate. But I encourage everybody to check with me. Uh, 
on even on sale day because I'll find out who actually shows up and I've got a buyer from Iowa that is wanting me to uh, let him know if I have a, a person from uh, his area that's coming to the sale. Well, I, I do have a person from northern Missouri that's coming, so I've already given those people e- each other's names and they're working that out. I have a breeder from uh, Minnesota that's uh, coming down and uh, I had a young man from Wisconsin call me this morning and said if he got something, how could he get it to Wisconsin? I said, uh, there's a gentleman from uh, Minnesota that's coming down and I gave him their number, so they're communicating. So what I'm saying is just you need to check with me uh, to see who's coming. I, I know I've got buyers from Virginia that are going to buy. Uh, I'm not too sure who's coming from Virginia, if anybody is, but there's going to have to be uh, a trailer headed that way because this one buyer is pretty serious about uh, what he wants to buy. And uh, I, I have a couple from Indiana. That, that have contacted me. So I, I think that once we find out sale day who arrives, we can help some of the people figure out uh, transport for them. And after the sale is over, uh, if no one is uh, able to connect, uh, then there's those three people that I mentioned whose phone numbers are listed on uh, the Willoughby site that they can contact them and, and maybe make arrangements to have uh, animals delivered. Great. Good deal. Yeah, if, if uh, you need somebody from any state, Bob probably knows them. So uh, uh, just a guy that, that knows a whole lot of people. Uh, Bob, uh, let's, we'll, we'll wrap this up here uh, just a little bit. And uh, any, anything else that, that we didn't hit on that, that you want to share with us uh, about the program, about the sheep, about the sale, uh, any, anything like that? No, Andy, I, I think we've covered enough for one time, one day. <laughs> okay. Anybody that's listening to this is probably already saying, when is this going to end, please? But uh, it's been fun uh, visiting with you. You know, uh, you indicated uh, wanting to talk to me and, and check in with me over the years. And uh, I, I hear from uh, a few students uh, over the years uh, checking back with me, but it's a real joy to connect with you guys and, and, and success to, to see. I mean, it was kind of an interesting, I had a, I'll mention this one thing. I had a, a, a an old vet friend of, of mine from Iowa called me the other day and his, both his sons are in the club land business, but they work in a, as a sales rep for major, major companies. But they said to him, do you realize how many Bob Kim taught in, in the world of sheep, uh, that are out there still making making their mark, and I. So he told me that, and uh, I've done a little. I mean, I know I've got a lot of graduates that are still actively involved in cattle as well, but I can list thirty young people that are actively selling sheep. A lot of them are club lambs that I I taught at the college, and that to me makes me feel really good. Right. Well, that's great. Yeah, and, and influenced uh, influenced a lot more, I I know of, and and I'm sure of. So, uh, Bob, it has been great visiting with you, and and great visiting about the sheep and about the flock. And uh, want to invite everybody to go to Willoughby Sales and look at uh, the offering there. The offering will go up for sale on April the 25th. Uh, also, go to the breedingsheeppage.com backslash Kim. K-I-M-M, and that is uh, the website there for Bob and uh, the flock, and uh, what a great website that is. You want an education, uh, spend, spend a couple hours there on the website, and uh, so uh, just uh, want to thank Bob for his time today, and I uh, want to wish you luck, Bob, on the sale, and, and wish those buyers luck on, on getting these uh, animals bought that they want, and uh, again, just uh, what a joy it was to, to talk to you today. Uh, and again, just want to remind everybody the sale April 25th on Willoughby Sales. Very good, thank you. All right, and we want to thank you for joining us on uh, another edition of Before the Bid podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Before the Bid. For more information and to learn more about upcoming podcasts and sales. Visit us at beforethebid.podbeam.com or Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram pages. 
For information on being a guest on Before the Bid, please email us at beforethebid at gmail.com or one of our social media pages. Remember, that's beforethebid at gmail.com. Happy sales to you, and we will talk to you next time on Before the Bid.